There are three strange days in my life I'd like to share with you today about when I felt I heard God's voice speaking very clearly to me. Strange day number one happened back in the fall of 1978. I was 11 going on 12. My uncle was down in Beaumont, Texas with my dad and although we were from upstate New York, dad was pastoring in Beaumont at that time and my uncle was in the middle of a crusade and I was helping him and dad every night with these meetings, doing whatever they asked me to do and they had a great influence over me, both dad and my uncle. My uncle, some of you might have known, we actually had his memorial service here three years ago in this very place, uh, Ron Halverson Sr., when he passed in May of 2015. This church is where we had his memorial service. So Uncle Ronnie was down in Beaumont, Texas. He's leading this crusade. I've been going to the meetings, obviously, every night. And for some time, since I was at least six, this might sound strange, but I felt this pulling on me towards the ministry. And my dad and uncle were leaving an impression on me, and going on 12 years old, I thought, you know, it's time for me to know what God wants me to do with the rest of my life. I better get my act together. I'm not getting any younger. So I prayed by my bedside that night, and today is really only the second time I've told this story in my whole life. I prayed by my bed, and I said, God, if you want me to be in the ministry, please let it rain. Now, I thought if I asked for him to let it be sunny, that's too easy, because it was sunny all the time in Texas. If I asked for snow, well, that would be wrong because it hurt the citrus crops or whatever is growing down there. And I thought, well, rain is a safe choice. Sometime during the middle of that night, it started raining and didn't stop. And it got harder and harder and harder. And that evening, the following evening, my uncle and my dad went out visiting the people who had been coming to the meetings. (laughs) And about 8.30 that night, we heard this loud pounding on our front door. I'm going to go answer it. And there's my dad and my uncle. Uncle Ronnie's six foot four, dad's a little bit shorter. They're standing there just soaking wet. Pant legs rolled up, coats off, ties off, shirts sticking to their bodies. Mom said, why didn't you come into the garage? And Uncle Ronnie said, we had a park five blocks away. It's raining so hard, the water was coming up into the floorboards of the van. We couldn't make it home. He said, I've never seen anything like this. It's a monsoon out there. He said, man, I hope it stops because I want people to come to my meetings tomorrow night. And I, he said, I don't know what's going on. I've never seen anything like it. And he'd lived in Texas for many years at that time as well. And I'm thinking, well, do I say something? Do I not say something? Do I say something? Do I let them know what's happening? I, I don't know if I should say something because it's kind of embarrassing. And I finally said, well, I, I, I think I might know what's happening. <laughs> they looked at me and I said, I, I prayed last night that if God wanted me to be in the ministry that he would let it rain. They were just silent, just looking at me like I'd, I'm from Mars or something. And my uncle was the first one to say something. He took a step towards me. He leaned over, put his finger in my face. Rain was dripping off his nose. And he said, kid, don't you ever pray during another one of my meetings. <laughs> and of course, all through my life, I've heard all of them say, remember that prayer? God answered your prayer. And then he was nagging me all my life. You're supposed to be an evangelist. You're supposed to be an evangelist. And I've tried to serve God in my own way when it comes to ministry. I wish I could say it in the last 40 years that I always heard God's voice that clearly and strongly, but that's not the case. There have been times where I've wanted to hear his voice, and, and I haven't, but I look back over the last 40 years, and I've learned a few things about myself. And Despite wishing and hoping and wanting it to be like the Bible days, God always spoke, he answered, and made signs. They were always clear on what he wanted. At least that's what I thought until I read 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1 says that Samuel served Eli, and that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So even back then, God's voice was not always heard, but that doesn't mean God wasn't speaking. God is always speaking, though we might not hear. And I look at my own life these past 40 years. If there are times when the word of God has been rare in my life, it's because of a couple things, more than a couple things, but at least two I can think of. One is 
Simply, I didn't want to hear him because I had a sneaking suspicion that what he had to say would not agree with what I wanted to do. Second reason why God's word has been rare at times in my life is because I didn't take time to listen. If there was anything I'd change going back in 40 years, it'd be to intentionally schedule time to go away and be with God. And if he didn't want to say anything, he didn't have to say anything, but at least I would be there and I'd be ready and prepared to receive what he had to say. God's word has been rare when I've not wanted to hear what he said and when I've not taken time to listen. And I'm reminded of that text in Psalms where it says, be still and know that I am God. So sometimes we feel like we don't hear God's voice because we don't want to and because, well, we don't take time to listen. But there are times when we feel like God doesn't hear our voice, which brings me to strange day number two. Strange day number two happened 10 years later. It was the It was the spring of 1988, and I was at Southern Adventist University, majoring in religion, minoring in biblical languages, and also a minor in communication because I figured that'd be my plan B. If religion didn't work out, I very much enjoyed communication, and that was what I was going to do. But in the spring of 1988, I felt like maybe I shouldn't be a minister. I was living with this deep sense of unworthiness. A lot had happened in those 10 years, and maybe you can relate. There are times in life where you say, think, or do things that, you, that make you feel unworthy, that you think disqualifies you from God's grace and his leading in your life. And I felt like I wasn't worthy to be a minister any longer. And I figured, you know, I'm within two years of graduation. I could see seminary on the horizon and then getting into a church. And this was getting serious to me. It was either commit or quit time as far as I was concerned. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go pray. I took my Bible, my flashlight, because it was at night. And there was a place behind the softball fields at Southern that had caves and a wooded area and there were hills and some rocky ledges and a group of us the last couple of years have been meeting on that one of those rocky ledges and we'd pray from time to time and I felt drawn to go to that rocky ledge and see what God wanted to do for my life. So I took my Bible and my flashlight. I mean, I love night. I love praying at night. I love being out at night. I like walking, running at night, all of that stuff. Found my way up to that rock ledge with my Bible and I simply prayed, God, do you still want me to be in the ministry? And I turned my flashlight on, I opened my Bible, I was just going to stay there and read until I had a clear understanding of what his will was for my life. And my Bible just effortlessly opened, and I started reading, just reading, and it opened to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I had forgotten what was in 2 Timothy chapter 4, but I kept reading, and I became somewhat overwhelmed when I got to verse 5, because verse 5 in 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And it was clear to me, and I was happy, very happy, to know that God still wanted me. And I feel like Jennifer and I were invited to be here this morning, if to say nothing else than this for those who are here or are listening or watching, even the recording, you need to know, some of you, God still wants you. You need to know that God never stopped wanting you. You've done, said, and thought things that you feel have disqualified you from his presence. You feel a deep sense of unworthiness and that you don't deserve him, but the cross says otherwise. God still wants you. Now, we don't do penance. We don't believe in penance where you punish yourself physically to demonstrate genuine confession and repentance. We don't walk up the church steps on our knees until they bleed. We don't do that. We do engage in a kind of emotional penance. We give, our, we give ourselves loads of guilt and we give ourselves loads of shame. 
And we whip ourselves with guilt, we whip ourselves with shame until we are a quivering, spiritual, spiritually humiliated mess, quivering into the presence of God, thinking that he'll accept us, hoping he'll accept us, begging for his mercy, driven by this sense of unworthiness, but punishing ourselves to the point of hoping you'll see how serious we are about really wanting to be in his presence. I don't know if you can relate, but through the years I've given myself a whole lot of guilt and a whole lot of shame. And we can keep on doing that if we want to, but it seems to me that that's just another twisted form of legalism when you stop and think about it. And furthermore, it seems to me like the purpose of the cross was to remove guilt, shame, and death. Jesus makes it really simple. We theologians make it very complicated. We like to form our councils and discuss items, sometimes amongst, across several general conference sessions because we enjoy it so much. But Jesus made it simple. He said, the eternal king is your dad and that's how I want you to relate to him. Now I'm a dad. My son will be 11 years old this month. And God's a better dad than I am. At least I'd like to think so. But I know that there's no other place I want my son except right here with me. And if I want that with my kid, then God wants that with you because you're his kid. You feel like God doesn't hear your voice because you're driven by these deep feelings of unworthiness and that's just a lie you need to divorce and fall upon Christ's grace and just go and get with God. God has never not heard you. Every prayer you've ever uttered, no matter where you were, how you felt, or what the situation was, he's heard every word that's ever come from your soul, verbal or silent, he's heard it all. Sometimes we feel he doesn't hear us because we have this unworthiness or we're insincere, our motives aren't right. Trust me, he will fix the motives along the way. And then there are times we believe that um, you know, we don't hear his voice because we don't want to or we don't take time. Which brings me all to day number three. Strange day number three. <laughs> Strange day number three happened three weeks ago on Father's Day in New York City. So my dad, he was always working on a sermon out on a committee or visiting. He was not home a whole lot when I was a kid, but one thing we always did was we'd watch the baseball playoffs in the fall. We're from upstate New York, so we are, for better or for worse, New York Yankees fans. And we'd watch the Yankees play on our two-channel black and white TV, we'd watch them play. And it was really fun because my uncle, who grew up in Brooklyn, was a Dodger fan. Always a Dodger fan. And oftentimes the Yankees and the Dodgers, for you were old enough to remember, were there in the World Series. And so my uncle called me up, sorry kid, Dodgers, I feel they're going to take it this year. And I got to make the nice phone call a few games later. Sorry, Uncle Ronnie, we did it again. So what we started doing was, 12 years ago, my dad and I started a tradition where we'll save our money and once a year in the summer, we'll go up to New York and we'll see a game at Yankee Stadium. And now we're taking my son, and it's really cool to be there with Dad, Garrison, and me at Yankee Stadium. So this year we went, and I was really tired. I don't know about you, but hasn't this been a busy year already? I mean, it seems like a year's worth of work has already been compressed into six months. And I was exhausted, very little time off, very few days off, and I was just looking forward to relaxing with my dad and my son. So we get to Yankee Stadium, and it takes a while because Dad's 85 and he has diabetic neuropathy and he walks with a cane and we finally get there and take the subway get there and we're in section 227b it's at the top of the stairs and dad is like the second seat in because i don't want him to have to navigate the stairs it's a good section shaded i'm up and down for like two and a half three innings getting popcorn getting soft drinks getting ice cream i finally get a chance to sit down and relax missed the only run that the yankees scored <laughs> I'm sitting there, and I'm right on the edge, and everybody seems to want to strike up a conversation with me. <laughs> I 
First guy comes up, he wants to talk about CeCe Sabathia, who was pitching that day in his Hall of Fame career, and I like CeCe, but I didn't want to talk to him. I wanted to enjoy my dad and my son. I was tired, and quite frankly, and I'm ashamed to even tell this story, kind of tired of people. I wanted a break. So I'm saying, "Uh uh-huh, mm-hmm, you know, and finally he leaves. Another inning and a half later, another man walks up, and this was, looked like a distinguished man, maybe a businessman, I'm not sure, and he looks over at us and looks at Garrison, Dad, and me. He said, three generations, huh? I said, yeah. So it's a beautiful thing that three generations are here at Yankee Stadium on Father's Day enjoying the game, and he's really trying to give us some affirmation, encouragement, and support. A really nice man. And I was still saying, yes, mm-hmm, doing all I could to get him away from me because I wanted to relax and be with Dad and Garrison. Near the end of the game, maybe the sixth inning, a lady walks up. Turns out she'd been down in the sunny area and she needed some shade. And she was probably in her late 70s and she was wearing sunglasses that might, you might have seen in the 70s, big, thick, plastic sunglasses. And she had big red hair, about five foot two, and she <laughs> stands right beside me and she starts a conversation. She said, boy, it's hot down there. I said, yeah. And uh, she said, well, I'm here with my son today. Well, that's nice. She said, my husband passed in March. I said, well, I'm really sorry. And I was sorry. She said, thank you. She said, yeah, he passed, and I had to move. And she said, we had, I have had to move to Pennsylvania. She says, I, I hate Pennsylvania. She said, we lived in Long Island for 60 years. I miss Long Island so much. I miss my home so much here in New York City. And so my husband used to come to, New, to Yankees games all the time. He used to bring my son to Yankees games all the time. And she really wanted to talk, and I could tell she was hurting. And I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed to say I was so tired and burnt out myself that all I wanted to do was spend this day on Father's Day with my son and my dad. So I was giving her nothing. Shame on me. So she said, her son asked her a few weeks earlier, he said, Mom, you know, would you take me to Yankee Stadium on Father's Day in honor of Dad's memory? She said, sure. And so she brought her son on Father's Day to Yankee Stadium. So she talked for quite a few minutes and her son finds her, comes back up and he says, Mom, it's not sunny down there anymore. He gently takes her by the arm and he starts leading her down the steps and he doesn't know what she told me, he doesn't know I know the story and he looks back over at me and he he mouths the words, treasure it. And then he's gone. Well, the game's over and we wait a while and finally make our way out and back down to Times Square where we were staying and kind of hungry, got a snack at the hotel and I went up to the room with Dad and Garrison and it's only seven o'clock but they were beat and didn't want to go out anywhere. They wanted to stay in the room the rest of the night and we had to be up at 4.30 the next morning for a flight and I'm thinking, I'm here in New York City at seven o'clock, I'm not staying in the room the rest of the night. There's stuff to do out there. Got a whole lot of nothing I gotta go do in Times Square so I'll be back in a couple hours. So I walk down to 44th, 45th Street and I'm walking along and I actually see a lady standing on the corner and she's giving out pamphlets She's wearing a backpack, and rising from the backpack is this tall sign towering over her, and it says, warning. Then it talks about 666 and the judgment and all these things, and I take one of her pamphlets, because I wondered if she was from a local church in the area, and uh, I walked away fairly quickly because I didn't feel too comfortable. I I felt comfortable with Jesus' coming and all that stuff, but I wasn't really comfortable with this warning judgment stuff. So I crossed 45th and started walking up Broadway and I found one of those red tables with the three, with the metal chairs they have in Times Square as the public service folks want to relax. And there was a table with three chairs free. 
So I, and that's hard, you hardly ever find that. You have to wait around until someone leaves. Well, I sat down and I'm thinking, well, Dad and Garrison should have come. They would have liked this. And I'm people watching and expecting someone to come and ask for the chairs. No one comes and asks for the chairs. I've been there a million times. They always come and ask for the chairs because you share chairs. About four or five minutes later, two young men, look to be in their 20s, come walking towards me. And I thought they were going to take the chairs and they didn't. They said instead, would you mind if we joined you? I said, no, please, sit down. Somebody else wants to talk. And they introduced themselves. One was Sanders, the other one was Cooper, and they said, we're missionaries. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> they want money. They want something. So they start this conversation about how they're from a church in Atlanta, a Wesleyan church, and they brought a youth group of 20 people to Times Square so they could just talk and pray with people. So as soon as I find that I'm talking to the youth leader and he has his assistant, I decide... I'm going to test them. I want to see if they're really here to care and love or if they're just here to get a vacation in Times Square. So I, got, I gave them nothing. I was like the hardest nut to crack there was. I never told them what I do either. And uh, so finally, I mean, they never stopped smiling. They never stopped caring or encouraging me the whole time. Nice, beautiful people. At the end of 10 minutes, I mean, he found out. He said, well, what's your story? I said, I don't have a story. Well, everybody has a story. And he finally dragged it out of me what my son's name was. There was my dad and enough information that satisfied him and he said, well, do you mind if we prayed with you? I said, no, I'd like that. So he prayed and he prayed for God's protection over me and my son and dad, prayed for God's blessing on our lives and on our work. It was a very nice prayer. Never happened to me in Times Square ever before praying for me. Then they get up and leave and seconds later someone says, can we have these chairs? Yeah, sure, you can have the chairs. So I'm sitting there thinking about what just happened because it's, kind of, it's a kind of a contrast between this judgment lady over there, which I'm still watching out of the corner of my eye, and these prayer warriors had just met with me at my table. I knew God was, I had a feeling God was trying to get through and tell me something and I was just sitting there and I was looking at this pamphlet I brought from the lady over there, just seeing what she's teaching and I started looking through it, just killing time. And uh, I just happened to see point number five. What to do in case you miss the rapture? Well, I think that's kind of important information, I probably should know that. Because the way I was acting that day, I just might miss it. Stay calm and do not panic. Your natural reaction once you realize that you just, what has just occurred is to panic. But to do so is absolutely useless now. If you had wanted to get right with God before the rapture, you could have, but you chose to wait. And then it goes on and on and on, so I had all I could take of that. I got to thinking, why is she there? And I knew God was trying to say something to me through her. I just could feel this intuitively. Thinking about her, thinking about Sanders and Cooper, and then I looked up, and of the hundreds and hundreds of people I've been passing in front of me, I hadn't seen this young man. There's a young man standing there wearing red Nike sandals, shorts, and a t-shirt, and he's holding a sign that said, hugs. It's like, wow, this is really strange. I've been in Times Square more times than I can count, and I've never seen any of this. And I thought, okay, so the kid, I mean, he just stood there, confidently, Waiting, secure with himself, I was more interested in seeing how people reacted to this kid. You know, most of them just ignored him. Some of the ladies thinking he was up to something would take a step or two away as they walked around him. The big manly man guys would give him a thumbs up as they walked by. Saw so one guy come up, tap him on the shoulder from behind, and give him, give him an old big bear hug. 
Every time someone hugged him, his face just lighted up like a Christmas tree. He never initiated the hugs. He just stood there and gave hugs and people came to him and wanted them. And I was certain this kid was going to ask for a couple dollars for a hug. Because at Times Square, everybody wants something if you've been there. I once saw a guy sitting there with a sign that said, for $2, you can curse me out and say anything you want. (laughs) So I watched this kid for 30 minutes knowing he's not the real thing. Never once asked anybody for anything. So my curiosity gets the best of me and I I get up and I walk over there to him and I say, (laughs) not very elegant, I just jumped right into it. I said, so you're just down here in Times Square giving away hugs, huh? You an undercover cop? No, I'm just here for a couple days for the Yankee game of my dad and my son. And I said, so why do you you come down here giving hugs? And he said, well, it gets boring in my room on the weekends. So he said, I just come down here and offer hugs. So I said, you're just coming down here, giving hugs to people who want them to brighten their day and make the world a little bit better place. He said, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I said, well, that's good, that's good, good work. Keep it up. I think I'll take my hug. We did the whole man hug. I gave him an arm, he gave me an arm. He didn't really want to hug me. He wasn't convinced I wasn't with vice, so he's still afraid of me. And I turned around to go to my table and it was gone, the chair was gone. So me and my rapture pamphlet, we strolled up Broadway. Up around 48th Street, there's some bleachers and I found a place to sit down and I was really thinking about what's going on because I knew there was something there, I just felt it. So strange and weird. But I couldn't figure out the lady. Because I don't believe in the rapture, I believe in the second coming as taught by 1 Thessalonians 4 and other scriptures that you know very well. But she served a purpose because as I thought about those three people, rapture, lady, prayer warrior guys, and hugsy, something started to dawn on me. With her, I was led to review my day. And instead of a warning though, I felt corrected. I felt God correcting me that night. I heard him telling me, Lionel, I brought at least three people to you and you brushed each one of them off. You might be tired and burnt out, but your world does not revolve around religious business. Your world revolves around being my kid. And if in an audience of 46,000 people, I have one or two people that need a word of encouragement, I'm bringing them to you because you're never off the clock. When it comes to loving and caring and having compassion, we are never off the clock. How can you be if that's what we are to begin with, right? So I felt corrected by her. Then I felt protected by Sanders and Cooper, which was a really nice combination of God because sometimes the correction makes you feel vulnerable and like you don't measure up. But in the second breath, God brings, brings these two missionaries to my table that he held vacant and they pray for me and my kid and my dad in my work, just there loving me. I felt protected. And then with Hugsy, looking up at him, I felt directed. Because sometimes I make things too complicated and take things a little too seriously as you might have caught on by now. And God says, keep it simple. You are here to love. If that kid, bored in his apartment, can come down and hold a sign and give a few hugs, how much more can you do if you just follow me? and do what I ask you to do. I felt directed to be more loving, more compassionate, more caring. So in a span of a, you know, an hour and a half, just a strange, strange day in New York City, I felt corrected, protected, directed. And I wanna tell you this morning, I wanna encourage you that God is speaking to you. 
There'll be correction, there'll be protection, there'll be direction, but he is speaking to you right now. He is speaking, and you can hear what he has to say. He wants to bless you, he wants to guide you, he wants to be with you. In fact, I mean, the Bible is clear. There are so many texts that talk about how God wants to guide and bless and open and all these things. You don't believe me? Let me read them to you right here, if I can find them. Matthew 7, verse 7. I know they're on the screen, but I want to read them from my notes. Matthew 7, verse 7. Keep asking and it'll be given to you. Search and you'll find, knock, and the door will be opened. James 1, 5. You know this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously without criticizing, and it will be given. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 from our reading this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and all of your activities is what that means. And he will guide you on the right paths. He'll remove the obstacles. The thing, though, with God is he doesn't always remove the obstacles. Sometimes he grows us so we can either kick the obstacle out of the way or step over it. But he does make the path straight. And it seems to me like kind of the prescription for us would be to follow him and to listen to him and to love. We receive his guidance. And God wants to guide you today. There's some area of your life that you've been wondering out possibly. For some of you, there's an area of your life that you've been wondering about that you've wanted to seek his guidance and his will and you want to follow him and you want to receive him. So I would ask that you start filling out your card if you haven't done it already because in just in a few minutes, we're going to have this special prayer time. On the front, give us your contact information if you want us to contact you about a decision you're making and on the back, fill in that prayer request. If you don't want to put your name, don't put it down. If you want to put S for silent or write silent, that's fine. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask Bill and Edder and the deacons to pick it up. I'm going to ask you to send it, as you get them done, send it to the middle so they can pick it up. And I want to close with this story as you're finishing up that prayer request and we're going to have prayer over these. God wants to guide you. God wants to bless you. God is here. He's speaking. We're going to take the opportunity to listen to him. Here's the thing, as a child of the eternal king, you have access to God. And if you think of God's name as an acronym, this might be an easy thing to remember. We have access to God, guidance on demand. We have guidance on demand with God as our heavenly father. Works the other way too. There's, we will be guided on demand, at his demand, if he wants to. And we have to follow, listen, and love to make that whole thing work. Write your prayer requests down, pass them to the center as you finish. Balcony too, and then uh, Bill and Edder and the team upstairs, you can pick them up. Start passing them over because I'm going to close with this story and give you some time to finish up your prayer request before we pray over it. There was a young man who was in a Bible study group on a Wednesday night, and they were actually studying 1 Samuel about how the word of God is rare. People around the room were talking about how God had led in their life and they were, had these amazing stories and this young, one, young man felt pretty bad because he didn't have any story to tell. And he wondered if God actually ever spoke to him. So he got into his car as they ended the Bible study meeting that Wednesday night and he was going on 10 o'clock and he said, God, I just want you to know if you ever have anything to say to me, I'm listening. And I promise that I'll obey whatever you tell me to do. I just want to hear your voice. Within minutes, he felt this urging to go buy a gallon of milk. He said, God, is that you? Are you actually telling me to go buy a gallon of milk? He said, I don't need any milk, but if that's you, I'll go buy a gallon of milk. Go ahead and keep passing your cards at the center so the deacons can pick it up. So he goes to the convenience store, gets himself a gallon of milk, starts driving, he's driving down the road, 7th Street is coming up and he feels like God wants him to turn down 7th Street. And he says, God, you want me to go down 7th? I don't think so. He keeps driving. 
But the farther he got away from 7th Street, the more convicted he was that he was supposed to go back and drive down 7th Street. So he did a U-turn, went down, started driving down 7th Street. Was not the worst part of town, wasn't the best part of town because it was a commercial area with residential as well. Keep passing your cards at the center. Deacons will get it sooner or later upstairs too. He was driving and he drove until he felt prompted to stop his car. So he pulled over. There were businesses and there were homes and most of the lights were off because now it was well after 10 o'clock. And he felt that he was supposed to take this gallon of milk to that house across the street. And he said, God, do you want me to take this over there? No one's even up. All the lights are out. So he's arguing with God because he doesn't want to do it. But he had promised he'd obey. So he opens his car door and steps out and he says, no, this is silly. I'm not doing it. So he closes the door and gets back in the car. But he was just this nagging feeling he had to follow through and do that. So he says, okay, God, I will go take this milk to that house. But here's the deal. If they don't answer immediately, I'm out of here. He goes to the door, knocks loud and hard. And immediately before he could get away, there's a voice that says, what do you want? <laughs> Guy comes to the door, opens it up. His hair is a mess. He's in jeans, a dirty t-shirt. Who are you? And this young kid who wanted to hear the voice of God's holding this gallon of milk, and he says, uh, this is for you. And the guy takes the milk, leaves the door open, runs down the hall into the bedroom, He's talking in Spanish. His wife comes out holding the gallon of milk. He comes out holding an infant. She's going to the kitchen. The father's bringing his kid to the door, and he's crying, and he said, we had a lot of more bills this month that we weren't planning on. And we realized tonight that we didn't have any milk and I didn't have any money to go buy milk. And I've been praying to God that he would show me a way to go get some milk for my kid. Thanks, Wes. If there any more, just bring him up better. So as he's telling the young man his story about how he's praying for God to help him go find some milk for his baby, his wife, who's putting milk in a ball in the kitchen, cries out. She said, I've been praying for God to bring me an angel with some milk. Are you an angel? And so the kid takes his wallet out, takes all the cash he had, which isn't much, and he stuffs it in the man's hands. And he said, you're welcome. And he's starting to cry and weep, and he's embarrassed. And he turns away, and he walks back to his car as fast as he could, just to overcome. Heart overflowing with gratitude that... Yes, God still guides, God still speaks. Thanking God that, thanking God for the privilege of taking somebody some milk. We have access to God, which is guidance on demand, and sometimes we feel, thanks Bill, that our prayers aren't being answered. And sometimes I wonder if we would be willing to be someone else's angel and answer to their prayer, might our prayer be answered in the process? I'm not sure but I think so. But I know this morning that God wants to speak to you, whether you're here, whether you're listening to this, being streamed to your smart device, whether it's a recording, but God, there's no time. He's eternal. Thanks, Edder. If you have a prayer in your heart, a hope, a wish, a desire, just know that that was put there by who? God. As the song went earlier, he's been with you all along. All you have to do is follow, listen, and love and realize that he's there to guide you. You're there to be guided. Thank you. I want to take time to pray 
over your requests, that God will, in a very special way, answer the desire of your heart this morning. Father, we thank you so much that you've, you've never stopped listening to us because you're a good parent. You want us with you. You want us to speak with you. You want us to talk with you. You want us to share whatever's on our heart. You've always been there all along, hearing every word, every desperate word, every pleading thought. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for being able to take our life, all the pieces and the unworthiness, and with your grace, make something beautiful from it all. Father, I hold in my hand the prayer requests of your people, and there are stories here that are so deep and emotionally charged that the people going through it are on the, they're at the end of their rope. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give them strength and courage. And I pray that everyone who's either praying to you silently or is taking the time to fill out these cards will in a very special way, in an undeniable way, will know that they've heard your voice or that they're beginning to hear your voice. And if, you're, if your answer to our prayer is us being an angel, being an answer to someone else's prayer, then point us in the direction, take the first step and then the next step because we promise you today if you speak, we will listen and we will obey. Help us to follow you, help us to listen, and most of all, help us to love. Thank you for guiding us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.